as we come to God's Word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you with humble hearts today, we ask that you would help us to see past the format and the medium not be distracted by it, but to take seriously the word that you preached to Nineveh through Jonah and you preached to us through the Lord Jesus. Make us repentant in the face of our sin and give us a sense of urgency of the coming judgment as we look out at our lost world. Amen. Well, Jonah chapter 3. Now, Jonah chapter 3 has what I think is the single best and worst sermon that were ever preached. At the same time, the one sermon, the best and the worst. It, it's the worst sermon. It's, it's four words long. I mean, that might mean that you think it's the best sermon, but bear with me here, right? These are the four words that Jonah preached to Nineveh. Forty days, Nineveh destroyed. That's it. That was the sermon. Forty days, Nineveh destroyed. Now, now, there are so many things missing from that as we're doing sermon critique. You think, well, where's the introduction? You've got to set up the context. You've got to engage people's attention and tell them the problem. You've got to illustrate it and apply it for them and share with them what they need to do in the response. And 40 days, Nineveh destroyed. It's missing so much. Destroyed by what? Jonah, what is it that you know? A terrorist coming? Is there a bomb planted somewhere? Can you see economic crisis that's about to strike? What is it that is causing Nineveh to be destroyed? And how 40 days? How do you know it so specifically and precisely? Who are you, Jonah? Why should we listen to you? I reckon if someone walked into our church right now and said, turn that off, I have a message for you, and said, 40 days, Ingleburn destroyed, they would probably kick him out, right? The worst sermon ever preached. And yet, it has to be considered one of the best. Because off the back of this short four-word sermon, somewhere between 160 and maybe 600,000 people repented. Depending on how you read chapter 4, the entire city, from the greatest to the poorest, from the prince to the pauper and everyone in between, repented in literal sackcloth. And ashes. Now, what I want to do today in our time is preach that sermon to you. The story in our chapter really is fairly straightforward, right? Jonah chapter 3. I mean, you know, you had it read just before. Really don't need to point a whole lot to you, right? It's a very simple story. God speaks again. Chapter 3, verse 1 The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And God said pretty much the same thing. Get up, go to Nineveh and preach what I tell you to do. Right? Very simply, Jonah, do your job. You're a prophet. Preach. You're a prophet. Speak my words. Preach the message that I tell you. And this time, Jonah's learnt his lesson. No running away, no big fish, no near-death experiences. He gets up and he goes as God commands him. And he gets to Nineveh and he starts preaching his message. And one day into this three days worth of travel of city, he preaches his rubbish sermon and everyone repents. God sees the repentance and relents of his destruction. And that's it. That's our chapter, right? It's very, very simple, very straightforward. In some ways, this could be the illustration. This is the story that we tell in the sermon. But actually, it's... It's a simple story, but it's also a very strange story. It, it it's, leaves me with lots of questions, lots of unanswered questions. What's the time frame from chapter 2 to chapter 3? Remember the end of chapter 2? The whale vomits 
The big fish vomits Jonah back up onto the land, and there he is, having thanked God for his deliverance. What happened next? Did he go home again before he went to Nineveh? When did the word of the Lord come to Jonah? Was his, his, did it come as he's lying on the beach there, all surrounded by the, the muck and whatever else has happened to him, and God speaks, get up and go, and he gets up? What happened to the sailors? Did they go home? Did they keep going to, where, to Tarshish? Who? Did anyone learn what happened to Jonah? Did anyone else know about the fish? Was it somehow obvious that God had been at work in him? There's questions about the sermon that Jonah preaches, this message that he walks through the city, 40 days, Nineveh destroyed. Is that all he said? Was that, was that really it? That's the extent of everything? I mean, surely he needed some context, right? Who is the God that is going to destroy Nineveh? What is it that you're supposed to do in response? What does repentance look like? 40 days, Nineveh destroyed. It's a question, it's a strange one as well. Was God wrong? God said to Jonah, go to this city and preach the word I tell you. So presumably those were God's words, 40 days Nineveh destroyed. But 40 days later, Nineveh wasn't destroyed, as we'll find out next chapter. They relent and God changes his mind. He doesn't destroy the city. Was God wrong? So many questions, simple yet strange, but we have to trust God that we have what we need. As always, God's word is sufficient for us. It is our authority. It teaches us what we need to know. And so we need to come to this chapter and listen to it rather than demand of it that it answer our questions. Now, the story is simple and straightforward, and I want to get straight to learning some lessons for it, from it. I've got, I think, four, four different lessons or four different contexts that we're going to learn a lesson from. We're going to look at the characters in the story in turn to learn something from each one of them. And I think we have something really powerful that we need to learn. So first of all, let's learn from Nineveh. Nineveh was a great city. The king was there, there were lots of people. It was a center of commerce and trade. It was full of wickedness. In fact, they were so wicked that God sent his prophet from his land to them to tell them about their wickedness. It makes me think of Sodom and Gomorrah as one of the few other examples of God pointing out a specific city and saying they are so utterly wicked they need to be destroyed. And yet, here's the thing with Nineveh, as they heard the word of God, they repented, they listened, they took their own sin seriously, they believed the consequences that would fall on them if they didn't respond rightly. Something we need to take to heart. I'll tell you what, it's, a, it's an example. If you are not a Christian, if you are here today and you're somebody who isn't part of God's family, you, you know, you know you haven't really done the right business with God. Can I point to Nineveh as an example? They understood that their rejection of God and his ways would cause them great calamity. They knew that. Can you know it too? We'll come to that more in a bit. But I think there's also in here a warning for Christians. We can get very comfortable with our sin. We can get very used to, ah, oh, well, however it is that we rationale it away, however it is that we decide that it doesn't really matter, we get so used to our own sin that we kind of 
just are okay with it. This notion of repentance, of, of sackcloth and ashes, of being mortified at our own sin, we've lost it a bit. I think we'd do well to go and read Romans 6 and heed the warning there. You cannot serve two masters. If you have died to sin, if you have given up on sin, then to go on in the ways of sin eventually may well lead to it being your master again, to turning away altogether from the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm kind of hesitant to give you lots of examples because my imagination is limited, to be perfectly honest. And the danger of examples is that you then go, well, I'm not on that list, therefore I'm okay. I want you to be honest with yourself. Where's the sin in your life? We're not perfect. There must be sin there. If you can't see it, that's a real problem. Where's the sin in your life? There are some common ones that beset men and women. right? They're just normally there, and they're a particular challenge in our age. We need to fight against it. We need, like these guys in Nineveh, to recognize the seriousness of it. So often we don't want to fight against the sin that besets us because it's inconvenient. I'd have to change. Life would be different. Oh, I don't want to stop doing that thing because I don't want to have to get rid of the internet or my smart device or stop talking with my friends in the way that we talk or give up on my entertainment or whatever it is. I think sackcloth and ashes and not eating was a little bit more than inconvenient for them. We need to learn the lesson from Nineveh. We need to take very seriously the danger of allowing sin to master us. If you're not a Christian, you need to repent. If you're a Christian, you need to repent. The first lesson we can learn is from Nineveh. The second lesson I want us to learn is from Jonah. I've got two lessons from Jonah. The first one is the relationship that Jonah has with Jesus. Now, Joe uh, talked about this a little bit last week as we had Matthew chapter 12 read. But he kind of stole my thunder because really it goes with this chapter. As Jesus says to the Pharisees, to the religious people of his day, he said to them, uh, where are we? Matthew chapter 12 and verse 39, as they're asking for a sign, right? Convince us of who you say you are. And Jesus said these words, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. No sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. They listened to Jonah. Forty days Nineveh destroyed. They listened to this weasel of a man with his rubbish sermon and repented. We have something so much greater. We don't have the sign of the fish, the man who gets swallowed up and three days later spat out. We have the sign of the Lord Jesus, the one who died by crucifixion. And yet having descended into the dead, defeated death and sin and was raised to new immortal life to reign forevermore. We have the sign of one who preached with authority, not as the scribes and the teachers did. We have the sign of the one whose life was filled with the miraculous and the powerful. We have the sign of the one who loved like no one before and no one since. We have the one who is the judge who has been appointed to judge the living and the dead. 
He is the one who calls us today to respond rightly to him. They heard Jonah's warning and repented seriously. Ours is even greater. As the Lord Jesus looked at these men and women who were religious leaders, who were do-gooders, and said to them, you will be condemned because you haven't repented. I'm glad you're at church today. I really am. I wish I could be there with you. But being there, if anything, will result in greater condemnation for you. Because you've now heard the warning, will result in greater condemnation for you. Even than the men of Nineveh. They will stand and condemn us if we do not listen to Jesus. We need to learn the lesson from Nineveh. We need to learn the lesson from Jonah and Jesus. I think there's a lesson to learn here as well, from Jonah to us. If God had said to you, go to a wicked city that I'm about to destroy and tell them the gospel, what would you preach? What would you preach? I mean, you perhaps could think about the ways that we at church have spoken about the gospel, or that you have spoken with others in your interactions. What do we present as being the very fundamental message that God wants to tell the world? So often it's nice, isn't it? It's good. It's pleasant. Jesus loves you. God loves you. Jesus has good in mind for you. He wants eternity with you. Jesus wants to give you the good life now. Jesus wants to solve your problems. Or at least he wants to make it so that your problems in this life will fade and pale in comparison to the goodness that is to come in eternity. Now, all of that is true, and it's good, and we must have it in the gospel. But the urgent message, the necessary message, the thing that people have to listen to now, 40 days, Nineveh destroyed. The gospel is full and rich and multifaceted. It promises life and life in abundance. Jesus offers to give more than we are willing to receive. But how often do we end up putting aside sin and judgment and wrath? You know what the problem with preaching a, a, a nice gospel, Jesus wants to give you a full life kind of gospel, is that the people around us, most of them already have a good life already have a, a full life. People in our city already have it good. You're coming to offer me something nice. Well, that's nice, but it's like you're offering me the choice between vanilla and chocolate ice cream. They're both ice cream. I, I like them both. I guess I'll choose one or the other. The gospel, the, the news from God at its most urgent, is the call to prepare for the coming of the king who will judge. Forty days. Nineveh destroyed. That's the sermon to our world. And you want to know something? We might not even have 40 days. The judge is returning to judge the living and the dead. And the destruction will be terrible. I, I can empathize with Jonah. I, I, I can feel with him. He knew when God called him to, call, to go to Nineveh. He knew that's the message he had to preach. That destruction was imminent. That sin was offensive to God. That without repentance, there was only condemnation. I, I understand him not wanting to preach it. It's a hard thing to do. Which of my friends do I want to go and face them in the eyes and tell them, God is disgusted by your sin. He's affronted by your rebellion. 
and he holds nothing in store for you but judgment if you will not repent. Which of my neighbors do, do I want to go and tell that to? Which of my friends, which of my family members, which of my enemies do I even want to go and say that to? To tell them the clock is ticking. Time's running out. Soon, destruction will I feel with Jonah. And yet, as he learnt this message of dependence on God, 40 days, Nineveh destroyed. We learn our fourth lesson, and it's a lesson about God. And what a lesson it is. I mean, it's the heart of this book, isn't it? It's funny, in the, in the midst of stories of death and destruction and calamity that befalls Jonah and before, this is a story of God's mercy. Because Jonah went, eventually, and preached poorly, and God had mercy. And he had mercy even on people who weren't his own. He had mercy even on people who didn't belong to him. He had mercy on this pagan nation of idolaters and, and wicked people. Isn't that incredible? Now, God wasn't wrong. Nineveh was destroyed. Its idolatry was undone. That, that word destroyed, interestingly, does have a kind of a secondary meaning. It's, it's a bit buried in there. It's not its main meaning, but it can be used on occasion to mean changed. Forty days, Nineveh changed. It's exactly what happened. As he forgave the sin, even of Nineveh, in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very interesting. You can go read Romans chapter 3 to learn about how it was that people in the Old Testament had their sin forgiven also in the death of the Lord Jesus. Here is the mercy of God that he would go to this nation that explicitly were so sinful they deserved his destruction and his condemnation and showed mercy to them. This is the heart of our God. Going to our friends and calling on them to repent is only possible because we know God is merciful. We only do it because that is the path by which God may well choose to show his kindness, to forgive sin, to bring people back to him. Forty days, Nineveh destroyed. I want to finish by reading for you from Acts chapter 17. I want us not to lose the urgency of what's going on here. Listen to this speech that Paul gave. I want to read for you just the last couple of sentences that he spoke. He said this, Having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Forty days, Nineveh destroyed. Forty days, In Ingleburn destroyed. Glen Quarry destroyed. Sydney destroyed. Our world destroyed. God has set a day when he will judge. And has given proof by raising Jesus. You know, what we're heading into term two. This, our term one is our engaged term as we think about the world, think about our friends as we reach out to the world to connect. We must have urgency. Now is the time for urgency. For urgent prayer for urgent preparation, for urgent preaching. I think we've gotten comfortable. Lockdown, isolation, it makes it easy to forget about the world, to, to make other people's problems be out there somewhere and, and not mine, to forget about the fact that the Lord Jesus is returning. 
and when he does, it will be terrible and glorious. And that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where we need people to come back to him. Today is the day where you and I need to hear the message of Jonah and to preach it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible chapter. Please, would you pierce our hearts, remind us of the urgency of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and give us boldness. Amen.